from the dark recesses of my unconscious mind into the glaring light of objective reality. You are listening to the Dark Mind Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to another episode where we explore the boundless realm of dark literature and film. On today's show, we have a writer with a penchant for the bizarre. He mixes the macabre with humor while transcending multiple genres of horror. He's joining me today to talk about his new novella, Milk Teeth. So without further ado, join me as we delve into the dark insight of Andrew Post. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you very much for uh, hanging out with me on a Sunday evening. Absolutely. I'm uh, looking forward to talking with you about milk teeth, horror in general, and uh, any other darkness we can come up with. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. So uh, in the back of the book, in the author Q&A, you talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Rob Zombie's early films as being inspiration for the story. So, for those that haven't read Milk Teeth, the uh, story takes place out in a very rural area, and I think the isolation and the hidden danger is what makes backwood country locales very scary settings for horror stories. So, which elements of rural settings do you think are the most effective for horror stories, and which do you try to showcase in Milk Teeth? I'd have to say, with Milk Teeth, especially, like, those areas that aren't way, way out there, but like half an hour outside of a city where some of that element sort of gets out there, sort of intermixes. I think that's probably the creepiest to me because yeah. I think some of the, some more of the inner city crime stuff kind of trickles out that way. The crime is a little bit more, it's not just like stealing jet skis, you know, it's a little more suave than that. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Even out here in Minnesota, there's some parts where it gets really rough, just like right outside the city. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess like um, I'm thinking more in terms of, I guess, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it seemed like they were really in the middle of nowhere. But you do have a point there. If you're right outside the city, you're big enough to where you can have a police department that's very corrupt because they don't have the big city eyes on them. (laughs) Um and you're close enough to the city where like massive amounts of drugs can easily trickle out and, you know, just give people fodder for all kinds of crazy shit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that's a good point. So, uh, 
Where did you get the uh, inspiration for the bizarre method of suspended animation that uh, Mima uses to heal her family members? It's it's kind of like they're in a a, a magically induced coma, but can still <laughs> communicate with the electrical activity in their brain. Yeah, I'm not really sure I came up with that, but I really like like David Lynch and stuff like that, where it's he kind of sets you up in some of his movies to be. Like, oh, things are normal. Then it takes like a hard left turn into the weird. Mm -hmm. And that's what I kind of wanted to do with that was, you know, was Seferina picking up that guy at the beginning and then like, whoa, like, holy shit, like what is going on here? You know, and to her, it's completely normal. And we're seeing it through her eyes. And I just wanted to go like just hard left turn. I'm a big fan of that. Mm -hmm. You know, just jump right in there. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, without giving away any spoilers, that uh, beginning scene, my assumption was she was going to lead the guy into like an ambush where four guys were going to rob him or something like that. And then what happened? I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> shit just got real. Yeah. yeah. So um, the horned character Enganar seems like mm. a personification of the devil. I mean, you know, at first glance anyway. And uh, the deals he makes with the Breathlands seem to trick them into giving up something that they weren't intending to. Was his character based on like the Faustian devil at all? Or, you know, if not, where did you come up with the basis for the character? Absolutely right. Yeah. Faustian devil and like the monkey paw wish kind of thing. I'm not familiar with the monkey paw wish. It's this short story and it's like a, a family is grieving for like the son has died and like they wish him back to life with this monkey paw. And like, it's basically like wishing for something that you desperately want. You get something else in return, but you sort of still get what you want because the breath ones, they are immortal, but they're horrible. You know? yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, you got your wish, but not quite the way you wanted it. So uh -huh. that uh short story you're talking about, how old is that? Oh, I want to say like late 1800s probably. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the Breathlins, like <laughs> the the setup that the mom has, like, oddly enough, I don't I don't know where you got the concept for her bed set up and, you know, her uh, toilet uh, <laughs> situation. But I swear to God, my job, I used to deliver medical supplies that exist. I've been in that house. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I got like. <laughs> Like PTSD from, from reliving this old job I had, you know, putting up uh, medical supply stuff like beds and, um, you know, shower benches and stuff like that. And I've been in some really some wicked setups like that before. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was partly based on real experiences, not like not with the bed and stuff. But I had a buddy whose uncle lived by himself and like wasn't doing too great and like he had all these cats and like they had contracted some disease and all of them were blind and there was this like cat shit everywhere mm -hmm. and, like, just one of those like when you walk into it you're not even sure if you're in reality anymore mm -hmm. kind of situations yeah the crazy thing about that those situations is when it comes to uh, agencies like APS their hands are pretty much tied yeah like if you want if you're alert and oriented like you know where you are who you are what's going on you're allowed to live in filth if you want yeah they're like good <laughs> enough yeah <laughs> check that box yeah <laughs> So uh, one thing I noticed in the story were the two elements of what seemed like vampirism and witchcraft. 
So always an ever-present danger of revealing spoilers. But can I ask, what exactly are the Breathlins? You know, I I always wanted to write a vampire story, like, but I could never come at it like just straight ahead, like mm-hmm. Anne Rice style vampires or anything. I love that stuff, but. For me, I always think like, oh, I got to do a twist on it. I got to do some variation on it. And with that, I was like, all right, we take, you know, Rob Zombie. We take Texas Chainsaw, a little bit of Resident Evil 7 and like mash in vampires in there and just sort of push everything together. Never call them vampires outright, but they drink blood or milk as they call it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's like any element of what I would consider supernatural. You kind of, you seem like you still keep it grounded in the natural universe. Mm-hmm. Like, is that something you like to do? Like, you don't like to go way, way out in the supernatural realm? Yeah, it, because I start to lose believability in it. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, eh, like, because I think there's a difference between realism and believability. Like, with realism, like, that's factual you know you can see that in real life but with believability you can sort of bend the rules enough and with that i just wanted to sort of push the supernatural stuff to the side maybe even have the reader think like is she just making all this up in her head like because to go just straight straight into supernatural i was like uh it's i kind of lose a handle on it then Mm -hmm. for me so have you seen that new movie the black phone Oh, I want to. So that's a, um, and this, you know, this isn't giving away any spoilers. You can pretty much see it in the trailers that they have. But the thing I like that they do is they are dealing with like the supernatural sort of, but they kind of create these laws of nature that these quote unquote ghosts follow because the kid is, you know, talking to these dead children that were captives of the person that had kidnapped him. And they're trying to help him get out. So at first glance, that's some pretty supernatural stuff right there. But basically what happens is, is this afterlife they exist in is kind of like a temporary state of leftover energy. And so they can verbally convey words through this phone that's no longer connected. But when it was, obviously, it would convert electrical signals to voice, right? And uh, they can only exist in this area for so long. It's like their their energy is left over, but it's, you know, the law of entropy. It's waning away. They start forgetting who they are, what happened to them, and all this kind of stuff. So that reminds me of the way in your story you kind of try to keep the supernatural believable and in the natural realm, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I don't know what trailers I was seeing, but what you just described sounds far more interesting than any really? of the trailers I saw. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I saw... Yeah. It's on uh, YouTube. You must have seen a very condensed uh, censored version. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I honestly, I I was trying to figure out what your answer would be, Mm -hmm. but I'm not really sure. Who was your favorite character to write? I like Seferino a lot just because, you know, like it's all through her point of view, but writing the parents was a lot of fun. Just having them like screaming at each other through the wall and like Mm -hmm. just just being terrible to each other. Like Talk I, about believable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some of my own, you know, relations with my parents probably comes through. And stuff like oh, yeah. So, but um, yeah, probably I just love writing dialogue so much. And when you can have two characters argue, that's probably my favorite. Cause 
you can have this exchange and like it gets heated and the sentences get shorter and it gets very clipped and like you know exactly what people want when they argue mm-hmm. you know that often comes out and i just love that scene where Seferina is just sitting there and her parents are just screaming at each other and she's mm-hmm. just like what you know <laughs> Do you ever accidentally let personal experience that you don't want to be in the story come out? And before you know it, it's there and you're like, oh, shit, I've got to rewrite this. You know, I've got to reel this back in. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely had that happen with um, Switchboard. That's another one of my novels. It dealt with like addiction and like mm-hmm. I suffer from OCD. So like a lot of things repeat in that book. Mm-hmm. It's just being stuck in this like. The basic premise is like a detective goes into this apartment building where he thinks this bad guy's at, but the building is in a time loop. So he actually ends up pursuing himself. And so that was, that was a time when I was like, yeah, this is probably hitting too close to home. And even though I'm the one hitting too close to home with it, you know? Mm. Yeah. OCD. I, uh, I had some issues with that. I mean, I still do, but you know, not to, to the point where it like impairs my life, but, uh, mm. like my main thing left over from childhood was, um, uh, the obsessive checking, yeah. like checking the doors, pulling the door closed three times, jiggling the knob three times and so on. Very yeah. familiar. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've really got a, and it, and it's weird. It's like the the more of a rush you're in, the more it comes out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's just like it's trying to screw you over. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, yeah, real funny. <laughs> imagine imagine how it is with podcast editing. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> so. uh Seferina, I'm glad I, that's the way I've been pronouncing it. I was like, man, I was like, yeah. man, what if I say this and it's completely <laughs> fucked up? Uh, Seferina, in my opinion, has uh, all the characteristics of an anti-hero. Mm. She uh, she commits horrific murders, but it's all in an attempt to be a mother to siblings from a family that she was adopted into that just so happened to need human blood. <laughs> so. Uh, are you a fan of the archetype of the anti-hero? And uh, if so, can you give me some examples of either uh, movies or books that you admire? Yeah, I really, really like the anti-hero. And if you can make them relatable and like you kind of understand where they're coming from, the better. One of my favorite books, like not a lot of people know about this writer, but his name is Will Christopher Bear. And he wrote this book called Kiss Me, Judas. Okay. And it's about an ex-detective who gets out of a mental hospital he meets this woman who he thinks is a prostitute. He wakes up in a bathtub full of ice with his kidney removed. Then he goes on this mission to find her and like goes through like, I think it takes place in Denver, Colorado and just like the underworld. And it's really gnarly. But the main character is, I think his name is Phineas Poe. He's so interesting and very funny and like likable for being so kind of fucked up. And I don't think he kills anybody in the first book, but he has no qualms about injuring people or like stun gunning people who thinks might lead him to his kidney, you know? Yeah. It's a fantastic book and like a great example of just the perfect anti-hero because you want him to find the kidney. You want him to succeed, but he's doing all this terrible shit to do it. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of anti-heroes in uh, noir, yeah. Yeah. I really love noir. Like I don't limit my um podcast to to just horror. If I if I find, you know, good noir, I, I definitely wanna try and get them on too. So speaking of which, 
what genre would you place milk teeth in i i think horror for sure but if they had like a subgenre about probably um southern horror maybe folk horror folk horror okay. yeah southern horror like uh would that be the same thing as like southern gothic or is that a subgenre all to itself you know i see this is my ocd i want to categorize the <laughs> fuck out of this shit <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, what was that one? Was Cabin Fever. Did that take place in Tennessee? Maybe. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, no, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, I get that. That's yeah. a good Southern horror, kind of like um, House of a Thousand Corpses. Right. Yeah. So maybe not Southern specifically, but like Hillbilly yeah. horror. Yeah. yeah. Hills Have Eyes kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, The Devil's Rejects. I mean, I, I like uh, House of a Thousand Corpses better than The Devil's Rejects, but mm -hmm. man, when they kick in the door with gas masks and cowboy hats, that's yeah. done. I love this so movie. Good. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, in the realm of creativity, as far as your writing, I know people that are very exact in other areas of their life. Sometimes when it comes to being creative, they'll be a little looser. So do you outline? I don't. You don't? No, I just fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> Hence the name Pantser. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, do you have to be inspired or do you just like, all right, I need to write a book, sit down, put your hands on whatever medium you use and just start hammering away. Is that how it goes? Yeah, for me, it's like I'll have a sense of the character and sort of the world and like the atmosphere. And if I have that and like what I expect will happen in like two to three chapters, I'll just fly into it. Okay. And once I get going, like take a pause, maybe take a few days off, take a few notes, just sort of brainstorm and just sort of follow it. I don't recommend that approach because I have so many unfinished documents, you know, like just... For example, I have a 100,000 word document that I don't think I'm ever going to finish because I just don't know what to do with it, you know? 100,000 words. So a a novel is what? like 70,000. 70,000? Yeah. yeah. So at 100,000, there's not even a denouement. You're just kind of like, it's just there. Yeah. You don't know where to go with it? Yep, just huh. fell apart. I was like, huh, that's probably why I should outline, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, so... Like you were saying, a sense of character, a sense of setting and so forth. Is that something that comes to you in like this white light inspiration or is it just something that kind of uh, simmers in the background and slowly takes form over a month or a year or something like that? Usually it's like just all at once. Like with Milk Teeth, it was the character. She was outside of a strip club and I could even picture the the parking lot was gravel. Like I could hear like crickets like it was a perfect mental picture for me and like sort of like a dream when you can see something and know what that is like oh she's part of a vampire family trying to lure guys into her car like and it just spun off from that yeah okay and the uh the blood was to drink period or was it just for that magic elixir that they made i think i try to leave that sort of vague you know and like they probably do drink it. They probably mix it in with stuff, you know, and I just sort of like left it open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. Assume the worst though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not hard. It's pretty, yeah. pretty brutal. <laughs> 
So uh, what is your uh, writing medium? I've interviewed some people that like to hammer away on the old mechanical typewriter like Hemingway. Yeah, but <laughs> right. No, I have my laptop. I have a keyboard here from an old PC that I use. I've written everything on this keyboard. So it's the only thing I'm real particular about. But yeah, just Word. So that keyboard you've had like throughout multiple laptops? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's missing keys. It's like full of gunk. Like it barely <laughs> works. Like, but yeah, I would, I understand how writers get attached to their typewriter. So this for me is that. So you think if you got a new keyboard, it would just throw you off? Oh, yeah. I've really? tried. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you're writing the stories that you are a keyboard that's missing keys and full of gunk would probably be conducive <laughs> to that creative process. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want the streamlined ergonomic keyboard when you're trying <laughs> to, you know, talk about hillbillies murdering people. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, then what is your writing atmosphere? Do you have a, like a set place or are you just wherever you can find a comfortable spot? Usually uh, right now I'm in the living room at the dining room. Or I'm at, in the dining room at the dining room table. This is where I write and work. And I throw on some music, usually some like synth wave ambient kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And just get to it. Yeah. I try to like not have anything distracting, no email open. I usually put my phone somewhere else. But yeah, I try to keep it pretty simple. So you're the the second person I've interviewed that's into synthwave. I think uh, uh, Jack Wells he wrote a book called Monochrome Noir. Um, he's into like retro synthwave, like from the uh, '80s. So okay. what, what what kind are you talking about? Kind of just the modern stuff. I think people just make it on their laptops. Usually, I find it on YouTube and Spotify, and usually it's in a playlist of like two hours or something. So just anything without lyrics. So. Yeah, a lot of writers I've heard will listen to music, but it's got to be instrumental. I guess if you're formulating words and typing words and putting them all together, you don't want words <laughs> right. from music coming into your ear. I'm into uh, what you would refer to as deep, dark dubstep. <laughs> okay, I'll have to look into that. Uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've done any writing. I used to do narrative fiction, but um, that's what I used to at least start off listening to. Sometimes I'm so scatterbrained, I can't even listen to instrumental music. <laughs> I've got to just be zoned out quiet. Yeah. Yeah. You ever do um, just white noise? No, I guess not. Have you? Yeah, I've tried that with uh, if I'm writing something and I had like a stressful day and it's like, okay, I need to like keep the mood kind of calm, but still get the pages in for the day. Like I'll put on like, you know, ocean sounds or tropical whatever, you know. Oh, and you can still write the, the kind of stuff you do with just oh, yellow yeah. stuff going on. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm big into like meditating and incense and all that shit. So awesome. <laughs> what kind of meditation? Just uh, mindfulness and like trying to listen to this one guy called Muji and he talks about emptying your mind, mm -hmm. just being empty. And that one's really helpful for me. It's like, you know, OCD and got a bit of anxiety too. And like, if I can just clear everything out the next day, everything goes great. It's like so helpful. Yeah, it's amazing how mindfulness meditation is helpful for a lot of things like mm -hmm. anxiety. Um, uh, like you said, OCD is kind of caused by anxiety, isn't it? Kind it's of like, like a, a loop. Yeah. yeah it feeds yeah. anxiety and that goes back around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ADD. 
uh, all sorts of things. And they've actually, it's not just like pseudoscience. They've actually like, you know, done EEGs on people's brain and mapped Mm -hmm. out like, you know, brain activity and increase in the uh, density of the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. I did a speech on this one time and I, (laughs) it's, it's coming back to me. (laughs) Yeah. I learned not too long ago that if you start meditating within two weeks, your brain chemistry is completely different. That's how much of a difference it makes. Like meditate every day for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. You know, Mm -hmm. because it used to be like, I couldn't even close my eyes without getting dizzy at the amount of thoughts going on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So how long, and you know not to get off in the well actually i intend to get off in the weeds of meditation because i like to talk about meditation but uh how long did it take you to get to 20 minutes because i ebb and flow and whenever i get off of it and come back on i can't go past 10 minutes that's that's like my starting point it took me a very long time like i'd say at least a month of trying every day to get to 20 minutes before i'm like i can't do this anymore but now I could probably go a whole hour and it just, that time just disappears. I might get a little distracted and just come back to the breath again. And it feels like you're zoning out, but you're still completely aware. Like I'll hear the dog walking around or whatever. And Mm. yeah, it's a life changer for me. So yeah. Imagine it helps uh, focus on your writing as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, um, kind of bringing the unconscious mind to the forefront and unleashing the, like the true source of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of helps you with, if you're doing a lot of plot heavy stuff, like keeping your brain ordered and like, okay, like this has to happen for that to happen. Like mm-hmm. that's easier when you're in a more meditative like calmer. flow state. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Well, so I don't know if I'm going to pronounce their names right, but how did you develop not only the names, but the appearances of, is it Coagulette and Sulf? Yep. Yep. Sulf? Oh, yep. shit. I'm doing good. <laughs> I should get good a prize. Is <laughs> <laughs> because you, I'm sure you're familiar with Judith Sonnet, right? Mm-hmm. You, Judith Sonnet, Bridget Nelson, uh, Brittany Johnson, all have a way of writing characters that have horrendously disturbing appearances as well as mannerisms. Like... <laughs> When they first are, you know, basically created, I won't, you know, try not to do any spoilers. And you're talking about how they they still have like fat and gunk on them. And I mean, I can just I can literally smell what's going (laughs) like somehow you manage to write olfactorily, if that's a word. (laughs) Yeah, I like the gross, I like the gross stuff. And I came up with those names because in. um like I got into like occult stuff and just reading just everything I could get my hands on. And with Baphomet, he's got solve and coagulate on his arms. And that's to oh, take okay. apart and put together. Like with Mima and she's like the, the occult like leader of them all. And she would, in my mind anyway, I don't know how much of this came out in the novella, but sort of just take bits and pieces from here and there. And sort of, I described her as a bird because I wanted her to be like a magpie and just cherry picking things from other religions and other faiths and sort of just mashing it all together. And so I figured, why not have them name that something from, you know, Baphomet, something that's pretty familiar, but just tweaked enough. Like a lot of the language that they use, it's supposed to be sort of like a mush mouth kind of 
mangling of normal words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like specifically, not your story, just like specifically with the Baphomet, Solve and Coagulette, are those like elements or something? It's to take apart and put together. So they're, coag- yeah. so they're like intentional words, I guess? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't, I I don't know why they're there, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I've never really looked that close. Okay. Yeah, I, me and my wife took a trip to Salem and we oh, went okay. to the satanic temple that they have out there oh the actual the organization yeah Yeah. Uh and it's just incredible like it's this old house and like just gorgeously decorated they have a lot of art in there and they have that enormous metal statue of baphomet in there you can just take selfies with or whatever like yeah it's just if you're ever out that way it's definitely worth the trip and they're the nicest people too yeah yeah they're basically aren't they atheists yeah, what they, is kind, it they kind of use the uh, like a materialist atheist, but they just kind of use the uh, satanic iconography to, I don't know, project a, like it's supposed to stand for individuality, maybe. Yeah, it's for individuality. And I think they use it a lot to combat like the Ten Commandments or outside like a government building. So they'll protest. Why can't the, Oh, like separation of church and state. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Gotcha. And it's sort of like a punk political group with like occult. Yeah. It's kind of a unique thing. Okay. Well, uh, Matrivigi, if I'm pronouncing that right, or the act of uh, offspring eating their mother, mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking of which, is uh, is a pretty disturbing concept. Yeah. And uh, that was a great addition to the story. Um, when you come up with these graphic plot elements, is it more of an attempt to just disturb and shock the reader because, you know, it's the genre you write within or are you just you just want to transcend like normal garden variety story elements. Mm. That's an interesting one. Cause um, a long time ago, I saw this interview with George Romero and he was talking about like horror fans. They, they have so much fun with it. He said, when you listen to fans, horror fans talking to other horror fans, they're often laughing when they're describing like these terrible things that are happening. Cause we all know it's not real, you know? So I take that to heart, like in everything I write, like I want the reader to have fun. I don't go for like shock for the sake of shock. Like I like gross and like hard left turn, like what the fuck? I didn't see that coming. Like I'm, I like that a lot. It's all about like the roller coaster ride for me. Like I'm not trying to like cause anybody to lose any sleep. I want them to have fun, but like be grossed out, be surprised. And I had a review, somebody called one of my books, Repulsive and Tasteless. And I was like, perfect. Like, you got it. That's what I want. I want to be the John Waters of horror. That's what I'm after. When I was interviewing Judith Sonnet, I can't remember what she said. Somebody, the review was something, I'm probably screwing it up, something trash with no redeeming social value and she's yeah, like yes absolutely i couldn't have put it better myself <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah um 
what I was thinking when I asked or when I wrote that question was, it seems like any element of Milk Teeth, any element of that story by itself, standalone would be unique enough to throw the reader for a curve. Right. But you just mm-hmm. stack one bizarre <laughs> thing after the other. And I'm like, wait, 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 this is too yeah. much. Holy shit. <laughs> you know, like, I'm still trying to acclimate to the first crazy fucked up thing. And then there's another fucked up crazy thing. And then it's just like you got like this big stack you're trying to carry. So yeah, um hats off to you, sir. <laughs> I, I take that as a gold star. Yeah. Like, I, I'm pleased with that. <laughs> Definitely. So uh uh another thing, um, have you ever read any Edward Lee? Oh yeah. 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 Well, Judith Sonnet recommended that I read The Big Head. She was like, Oof. she was like, it'll change your life. Maybe not yep. for the better, but it will change your <laughs> life. And writers like you, writers like Edward Lee. If the books were placed in front of some sort of mainstream literary critic, if they could park the gore and the bizarreness, like their aversion to that, if they could just park it somewhere and just objectively view it, they would say that it is objectively good writing, good character development, good setting, so on and so forth, which is so crazy because you have that level of talent and then you, then you go behind it and inject this crazy (laughs) bizarre shit into it. It's almost (laughs) like, I can't believe this is happening right now. So I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. One of my heroes is Frank Zappa. Uh And I mean, completely different mediums and genres, but, he had all this talent, right? And like knew all these instruments, but just made all these goofy ass songs. Mm -hmm. It's like, you could have done anything with that, man. Like you could have been the next, you know, Paul McCartney or whatever, like very mainstream, but I love it when people are very talented and they're just like, ah, fuck that. Like, I'm just going (laughs) to make something weird. Like, yeah. 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 It's pretty solid. Um, (laughs) So on the cover of your book, there's a quote from Spencer Hamilton that refers to Milk Teeth as being, quote, Southern fried Lovecraft, which yeah. that's a pretty good summation, I would say. Is uh, Lovecraft a major writing influence for you? And uh, if so, like, who else would you consider writing influences? You know, I love Lovecraft a lot. Like, I read pretty much everything he published in, like, the course of, like, a summer, I think. When was that? Five or six years ago. Five or six yeah. years ago. I just ordered all of it and just no consumed it all at once. Yeah. Anything just couldn't get enough. Anything in particular set that off? I think it was this is like <laughs> before the troubles, let's say. Like he got kind of like torn down in like the public esteem of like the guy was racist. Like Oh yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. hearing about that. Yeah. But like a few years before that, there was like Cthulhu plushies at Barnes and Noble and stuff like so somewhere in between those (laughs) points like I was like I got I I was always familiar with them like I read a little bit of it in high school but besides like I'm just gonna mainline everything he wrote and just took it all in and yeah that was definitely an influence I like his like pantheon of gods like I'm slowly trying to do that myself with Milk Teeth got Enganar and then in Switchboard, there's a god that I don't even know how to say its name. So there's another one. But I'd say, like, I love writing dialogue a lot. So Tarantino was a huge influence. Shane Black, the guy who wrote Lethal Weapon. I love Thomas Pinchon a lot. Like, I think he's my number one favorite author of all time. Like, 
the guy is like he's still alive but just insane but like the way he can weave things together and talk about so many different things from history and contemporary stuff and just also go really fucking weird with stuff incredible uh will christopher bear i mentioned before he was um kiss me judas author elmore leonard poppy z bright was a huge influence early on for me Anne rice clive barker is way up there for me mm-hmm. yeah awesome well how did you get into writing like how old were you what was going on in your life and uh i mean ever since kindergarten i wanted to be a writer i remember that i was like i wrote a story i remember it was like a page long but i was like i remember i like this feeling of like putting words in a sequence and like i made a thing like i i like to draw too still do fast forward into high school and like i would write fan fiction it was like duke nukem and shit like that you know resident evil as i got a little bit older i started doing my own comic books like they're terrible but it was fun to do <laughs> and then i think i was about 20 when i started taking writing seriously and like like how do you get published how do you look for you know an agent if you want to go that route or this is a guide to self-publishing or submit to houses you know like start looking into that start reading a lot more reading very widely to sort of get a feel not just for horror or sci-fi because i started off kind of just in all genres but just trying everything just trying different you know first person third person and then slowly developing a voice and a style and like oh these are the things i like to talk about that's when i hit on like I like to write dialogue. I like to write scenes with people in cars talking about stuff that comes up again and again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, it was never like, Oh, I need to grow at this. It was always very natural and just one thing after the other for me. So, yeah. Okay. So you said you were 20 when you started getting serious. Like I want to publish something. Yeah. Like I think I might have a little bit of a talent or a knack for this. And what do I, what's the next step basically? Yeah. And let's see, that would be how many years ago? You said you're 30, what? I'm 37. Yeah. 37, 17 years ago. Yeah. So it's probably, I took a writer's workshop one time and I think I was probably 20 when I did that. And they were talking about the query letter and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So things were probably a much different 17 years ago than they are now. Uh, Did you query something back then or were you trying to self-publish or... Uh, I start my first novel was published by Medallion Press out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they were owned by the Wrigley Chewing Gum family. Oh, okay. And yeah, so like my, I decided like, I'm going to try to write a novel and it got published. And I was like, this is awesome. And then it got reviewed. Oh, fuck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, we need to go back to the drawing board on some things here, I think. But I've self-published a few things. Most of it has been traditionally published. Some of it I've released online on my sub stack. Yeah, just sort of all over the place. I had to do the query letters, yeah. So, let's see. Chop Shop, Aftertaste, and Milk Teeth. Are those are those traditionally published then? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so you list yourself on social media as the dude who wrote Chop Shop, Aftertaste, <laughs> and Milk Teeth. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
Can you tell us a little bit about the other two books and maybe start with Chop Shop? Because that's the one I want to read next. Yeah, that is like my one hit, I guess you could call it. Like that one really blew up. And I wrote that, like the first draft of it, like years and years ago. Like when I first started taking writing seriously. Mm -hmm. Sat on it for years. It was a screenplay for a while. Tried to sell it as that. It was a novel. Back to a screenplay. But yeah, it's about two young women who run a funeral home. And one of them really wants to make a lot of money since they're going under. So they start selling human body parts on the black market. It's sort of like snatch in the way that like they get way in over their head like really quickly, you know? So it's like a crime caper with an excessive amount of gore in it. Uh, so Nice. And I'm writing the sequel to that right now. So. Oh, the sequel to Chop Shop? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah. Um, the uh, director of uh, Snatch? Guy Ritchie. Guy yeah. Ritchie, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a fan of his? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, I, there's still so much I haven't seen. Um, what was it? The Gentleman? Yeah. Yeah. Did I you, haven't seen that one either. No. Yeah. I heard that's pretty good. But uh, I, I think the last thing I saw was the Sherlock Holmes movies. Those were pretty solid. They yeah. were. They were. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it looks like you have Chop Shop on audiobook mm -hmm. narrated by Todd Boyce. Yeah. Now, is that the the only book you have on audio or do you have others? Yep. Yeah, that's the only one. Okay. Yeah. And so what made you decide to put Chop Shop on audio? Well, that was the publisher. Okay. And they were like, are you okay with us doing this? And I'm like, definitely, you know. Because mm -hmm. it was your hit, you said? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it did pretty well. And I think that's why they thought it would do well as an audiobook. So. Okay. Yeah, I had um, Boris Basic was on an author and he's done a few books on audiobook and he says there's a real market for it. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, what about you? Do you ever listen to audiobooks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I um, What is that? Audible. I use that quite a lot. You can find some free audiobooks on Spotify, a lot of older stuff. Uh, Doug Bradley, the guy who played Pinhead in Hellraiser. Okay. He's got a whole series called uh, Spine Chillers where he reads old oh, wow. like, old horror stories like Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft. Those are fantastic. Nice. I always mm. put that on around Halloween. And mm. yeah, I love a good audiobook. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, I just have, it's hard for me to, to maintain focus on an audiobook. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. I have the same problem. I have to like rewind some parts. Yeah. And then it's like, you can't, if you're constantly reaching in your pocket or whatever to rewind something, you can't really, you know, I don't know how people do complex tasks while they listen <laughs> to an audiobook. My brother, he listens pretty much. That's exclusively what he does is listen to books on audio and he goes to the gym, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like, I don't, I don't know how he can do that simultaneously. I would just, I would end up injuring myself if I was doing anything with heavy yeah. machinery. <laughs> I'm the same way. Like I'll listen to an audio book, but I'm, that's all I'm doing. I'm just sitting there listening to it. Mm. So, well, so tell me about, uh, aftertaste aftertaste. Yeah. That was published by Skyhorse or one of their imprints. That's about a chef who he gets killed. And because of his karmic debt, I guess you could call it, is brought back to life to hunt monsters. But he himself is like slowly falling apart as he's like hunting monsters. And he has like a certain amount of time to do it with aftertaste. Like 
the story of the book itself, he's sent to North Carolina to hunt down a were amphibian, which is like, there's a stoner kid who can turn into a frog, basically. <laughs> and so he's looking for this thing. He's way out of his depth. Like a lot of my characters are often like completely ill prepared for whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and that's like a horror comedy, sort of like an evil dead kind of thing. Yeah. So out of Milk Teeth, Aftertaste, and Chop Shop, what is the uh, order of publication? Milk Teeth was the most recent. I think Aftertaste was 2017. Chop Shop was 2019 or 2020. No, 2019. Okay. Yeah. And what was the one you were talking about earlier, Switchboard? Yeah, that's... um. Yeah, I would say that's like True Detective meets like a Lovecraft kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was 2018 that was published. Okay. Yeah. Is that available on Amazon? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so you mentioned Chop Shop 2 is coming, but I also saw a video teaser about Milk Teeth Part 2. Yeah. Being released, which is, by the way, that was badass. The, uh, oh, the like slowed that. down music queued up to the windshield yeah. wipers. Yeah. That was, I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it, but that was a really cool teaser. Yeah. Anybody who follows me on Instagram, like, I have a thing for like slowing down music. I do that again and again. I don't know why, but yeah. Well, it kind of gives it a, uh, it, you can take anything, even something that like that particular song, something real upbeat and and, mm-hmm. and kind of happy. You slow it down, and it gets a little ethereal and weird and a little yeah. dark. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an effective tactic. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you give us kind of a I don't know little sneak peek on part two? Like, yeah. So it's Seferina and her sisters. They're on the road. And yeah, it's going to be inspired by, by Devil's Rejects, like on the run, a lot of like, where are we going to go? Where are we going to like stay tonight? Like, how are we going to get the milk, so to speak, you know, because her sisters are probably still reliant on that, you know, and like Anganar is going to show up, you know, kind of guide or try to knock Seferina off course. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of ideas is just sort of narrowing things down and like finding the right through line for all of it, you know, and staying true to the original. It's often the thing that makes writing sequels hard because you want to expand on things, do new stuff, but also honor the original and stay in that same atmosphere, too. Is it going to be a novella? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just in time for Christmas, you said? Yep. <laughs> a perfect size for stocking stuffers, people. <laughs> Slide a novella right in your stocking. <laughs> so on uh, Milk Teeth, I saw Snow-Capped Press. Mm-hmm. Is that the one you use for all of them, or has uh, there been different publishers? Or Yeah, that's uh, Milk Teeth is with Snow-Capped, and I want to say that was the only book that they actually released Mm -hmm. that was by another author because that's um aiden merchant i don't know if you know Mm -hmm. him from online but he started that and milk teeth was sort of like a test run you know like he wanted to see how he could market stuff and like designing covers because he self-publishes his own stuff but he wanted to try somebody else's and i was like sure you know because before that it was self-published and kind of languishing in the low eight millions on amazon you know so And I was like, go for it. And like, he just like killed it because like, I was so surprised that so many people read it. Like, and it had been self-published for a couple of years and like, 
yeah, he worked some awesome magic getting that into a lot of people. So hats off to him. Yeah. Well, speaking of publishing, I saw an announcement that you'll be starting your own small press. That's the hope, yeah. And called Postmodern Publishing, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What it's, what all was involved in that? Like, oh, so far the name. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten much further past that, but I kind of want to, like, for example, with Chop Chop, I'm going to release the sequel through there because the publisher of Chop Chop One, they've kind of had some financial difficulties, so they won't be doing the sequel. So I'll be doing that myself. And like Aiden did with his press, like sort of releasing your own stuff and then trying to work with other people's. So it's going to be mostly my stuff at first, and then I'm going to branch out. And I'm looking for stuff that's kind of similar to my own, like kind of weird and like, you know, if you can call it repulsive and tasteless, that's the kind of stuff we're going to be looking for. (laughs) So, yeah. All right. Well, so if you are a quote unquote press or publisher, what exactly does that mean? Are you the one that designs what's to be printed? And then there's like a, a printing press that you can contract to, to print these books out. Yeah. Okay. So, the, yeah. so the press is the one that actually handles the cover, the, the way it's bound and everything like that. I guess it's all done on a computer. Yeah. Okay. Like we would handle the cover. Like I, I don't have any degree in graphic design, but I can make a cover and, I've edited other people's books before. I would handle all that myself. And my wife is also an editor, so she would probably jump in to do like just the final pass on everything. And yeah, just package it all up, send it out to the press to have the copies run off and try to find a place that has pretty good prices for doing that and Mm -hmm. see what happens. Cool. Well, speaking of your covers and the like, let me just say that I love your overall aesthetic, like yeah. from, from the layout of your Instagram page, the covers of your books, the video content on your social media, and uh, as well as the pictures you paint in the reader's head with your writing style. So did you do the artwork for your avatar, your um, oh, on Instagram, your logo? Yeah. Yep. The, the yeah. The kind of I, I think it's on Amazon as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you produce that? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I just took a took a selfie and like years ago and like used that as like, you know, the underlayer and sort of painted over it and yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it, it amazes me what you can do. Like people I see doing like just amazing things that I assume have some sort of background in graphic design or something like that. They're like, "No, I just kind of fuck around." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I would say. Yeah. yeah. Like, I kind of got a little handle on you know, Blender, like all the software I use is free. Like, uh, I think it's called Krita. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just throw some things on there and use some reference art. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I don't have a degree. Didn't go to school for it. Mm-hmm. Always liked to draw. So yeah. What about the uh, artwork for your books? I think you mentioned that Milk Teeth came from, was it the publisher? Or yeah. did you design that? The publisher. Okay. Yeah. Aiden did that. Yeah. All right. And the, your other books, do you have any input on the uh, design of the um, covers? Yeah, I'd have input with Chop Chop. Like, they're like, we have no idea how to like package this thing, you know? <laughs> and I'd always had the idea of like, have a couple of feet like on a mortician's table with the toe tag with like a price tag on it instead. And they're like, perfect. I'm like, okay, that was easy, you know? Yeah. 
and with aftertaste, I, I didn't have any ideas. And the editor I was working with on that, he was like, how about this with like a headstone and like a hand coming up? I was like, great. And, you know, <laughs> and they sort of used the same drippy, like blood letters from the garbage pail kids, you know, mm -hmm. logo and like just threw it on there. I was like, awesome. Like you can always tell if it's, it's a good publisher when they involve you with stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. what do you think? Do you have any ideas? Sometimes they don't listen to you, but any input that they can use to like sort of jump off on their own style. Like I always appreciate that to be asked at least, you know, mm -hmm. Man, I haven't I haven't thought about the garbage pail kids in a while. Oh yeah. I think what they must have been the original splatterpunk. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Actually, uh, I had a a reader who really liked Milk Teeth send me a packet of those cards, uh -huh. and they're they're so awesome. Like the art is so good, and like it's like barfing Bertha, and she's like projectile vomiting, like. I'm like, I want to like frame these and put them on the wall. Like they're so good. I remember my mother's a little bit on the religious side. And uh, when I was growing up, she actually thought the garbage pail kids were like evil. Like she oh, wouldn't let me have any of the cards or any of the, didn't they have like action figures or plush toys or something like that? There was a movie too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God. So many, the so 80s. many things I missed out on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back when cocaine made all the creative decisions. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. The um, I think he's about to step down, but the director of the Houston Symphony is from Medellin, Colombia. Okay. He's my age, so he grew up in the 80s during the Medellin cartel and somehow managed to steer clear of all that and become a, a pretty successful classically trained conductor. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what was his name? Orozco. Oh, I see. I was trying to roll my R. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it like a white boy. Orozco Estrada. Andreas. Andreas Orozco Estrada. Yeah. I guess yeah. you write an autobiography. That's quite a story. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so as far as the video teasers, like the one for Milk Teeth Part Two, I'm assuming you produce those. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming is that something you kind of learned yourself doing video production? Yeah, it's just kind of fucking around with Blender and like sometimes I use, I go to Internet Archive where they have old footage you can just download and use. Nice. I do, I've done some book trailers for friends and their books and yeah, it's just something I really enjoy. Like I don't really, I was going to say I don't really get anything out of it. I do, but it's not like my main creative like drive, but I guess it just uses a different part of my brain, you know, it's like. I'm not telling a story here, but you kind of are with editing, like how things flow. And yeah, it's great. So you don't ever uh, dabble in like experimental film or anything like that? I did when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. I made some really cringy stop motion and shit like that. <laughs> like, but... a, like a, what was the first one that Lynch did? Eraserhead? Oh, yeah. 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 Something like that or? Yeah. The moody black and white. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm like a deep artist guy you know? <laughs> like you don't understand you don't get it <laughs> and i discovered blood and guts and it's like okay that's the direction to go uh -huh. so uh tell me about your short stories they're uh released on substack is it yeah 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 i've i've had a whole bunch of short stories like published i've had a bunch i've just been sitting on too and i really didn't know what else to do with them i 
honestly didn't want to like take the time to put it together a collection because I'm like, eh, like I just didn't feel like it. So I thought I'll release. You don't, the you ones. don't think a collection of short stories would be good? Yeah, I don't know. I just I have no confidence in no, myself okay. when it comes to short <laughs> stories. Like for the novel, like if I dedicate enough time to it, like yeah, I feel like I nailed that. But with short stories, like I could spend forever working on a short story and the ones that I feel like I've gotten to a good place, like, yeah, just throw them up on Substack for free. Check it out. I like to throw some art on there with them. And yeah, I'm not familiar with Substack. There's uh, I keep coming across authors that are using it for one thing or the other. Um, and I've heard it's good for podcasters. Like I, I don't, what's the deal? Like, how does it work exactly? You know, I don't even really know beyond what I'm using it for. And that's just basically like a blog, you know, but you kind of like have, WordPress or something. Exactly. Yeah. It's a lot like that, but you can set up RSS and stuff for podcasts and you can have certain sections be paid only. And like all that's taken care of for you through them. Uh-huh. The way I've been doing is just basic blog posts. Like it's real easy to use. Like there's not much to it. Yeah. But your uh, blog posts have been short stories. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And there's, I think there's one in particular that I've heard about is super gore. Is that something yeah. like a series, <laughs> like a serial type? Thing exactly. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I think got four, three or four episodes out now. And that's been a lot of fun. I, I think everybody's like catching up because I released like a lot of stuff all at once and I'm sort of just pumping the brakes and letting people catch up until I release any more. But yeah, there's a fair amount on there now. So, well, uh, is there like seasons of this or how many episodes is in a season? So on. I think super gore is going to be just one story episodically. I don't know how many episodes it's going to be. I have like a lot of it written already, not finished, but I do know how it ends for anybody who's worried about that kind of thing. It's not going to be like lost. <laughs> <has an ending. laughs> Oh, be, everybody ends up in a church you know <laughs> but yeah like i'm just gonna do episodes probably like long enough to read in like 10 to 15 minutes good thing to read while you're taking a shit or something you know? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, well so you've mentioned rob zombie his hey. movies um what other kind of film are you into i'm kind of like a fan of just all film <laughs> Yeah. Use that snotty term cinema. Cinema. Are you a cinephile? (laughs) I'd say so. Like, I like the, you know, avant-garde, weird-ass shit, you know, and like the lighthouse. Like, I really love that. Almost everybody else I know hated that movie. I like old film. Yeah, it's just sort of all over the place for me. Like, I've always loved movies. Like, I've tried to get into Hollywood many times, never quite took, so. What do you mean? (laughs) Oh, like, submitting screenplays to contests oh and like, yeah sometimes with publishers they'll release your like the details about your book in the trades and production companies will contact your editor and they'll get really excited like they want to read your book and then like crickets consistently every time like i for one book i released mondo crimson we had scorsese's company what? like inquire about it i was like Damn. what Never heard anything else. Like, I don't even know if they read it, you know? So, you know. 
I listen to Brett Easton Ellis's podcast a lot, and okay. he was, I forget who he was talking to, but whoever this guy was had been in production and screenwriting and, you know, just all over the place for years and was just talking about the demoralizing process of a screenplay actually becoming a movie or a TV series that you're trying to get greenlit. Like, yeah. I think that's specifically what he was talking about most was TV series, how they will get like right there. Yeah. Like agent will call. It's been greenlit. We've got this person and this person's going to play this. We've got this budget. I mean, right up to like, all right, we're ready to clock in and start working. And then it just, disappears yeah he's like it's happened so many times he just it, it almost just like takes a piece of your soul <laughs> so. I, had an, I had an agent who told me in hollywood movies don't get made like that's like a quote that goes around town movies don't get made it's like then why why does anybody even bother trying like it's yeah. so like you said demoralizing yeah and like i've had so many close calls with it like i'm to the point now where it's like I'll be happy when I see the check, but until then, I'm not going to try to push anything mm -hmm. that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just too heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I had a uh, Nevada McPherson on the show. Hers hasn't been released yet. It's coming out this Tuesday, but, uh, she was talking about how she wrote screenplays. I think she actually has a degree. If I remember correctly in screenwriting from uh, LSU and she would, you know, submit them to all, all kinds of contests. But actually, the way they served her a lot is they would turn into uh, ideas for novels. Mm -hmm. Like the current novel that I was interviewing her about started off as a screenplay. So I don't have you ever thought about that? Any screenplays kind of becoming novels or novellas? Yeah, that's what Chop Shop was, you know, like I... I think it started as a novel, then went to a screenplay. But I think with screenplays, they're really good teachers for your story. Like you have to really hone things down because you can't have any like excess fucking around in a screenplay. It has to be exactly to the point. Every plot point needs to mean something. It all has to add up to something, beginning, middle, end. So it's a great way to teach yourself like efficient storytelling and set up payoff character motivation like you learn it all with a screenplay yeah she was saying how you know i still don't really exactly know what the formatting for a screenplay looks like but she said that even though it's you know kind of like an outline for lack of mm -hmm. a better word she said it still freed her up she said it it made it easier for her to write, which I thought it would be more constrictive, like to the creative process. Cause you're kind of like in this box. What do you think about that? I could see that. Yeah. Like, especially since I like to write dialogue so much, like that's the only thing that's really going to transfer into the movie. You know, everything else is like blueprint and rough sketch. And I think maybe that's what she meant. Like I said before was like, you really have to be efficient. Like it does get you, kind of out of your own way because a lot of writers myself included will get bogged down in the details of how do you describe this and what's the atmosphere what's the lighting like with a screenplay it's like interior bedroom daytime and maybe like one line of like the room is a mess or everything is tidy you know okay. and that's all you get like i think it gets you out of your own way yeah all right makes sense so uh, are you a fan of the French extremist movement at all? 
Uh, like Gaspar Noé. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. What about uh, De Cornell Lagier? Uh, I'm not familiar with that uh, one. Julia De Cornell did um, Titane and Raw. Oh, yeah. And Those were incredible. Pascal yeah. Lagier did uh, Martyrs and. Uh, Martyrs is probably one of my, if not my favorite movie. Yeah. Like, me and my fiance watched that and we're just blown away. Like, that thing is incredible. Yeah. Like, because like you, at some point you're like, why am I sitting around watching this brutal, disgusting, you know, like <laughs> horrific shit. And mm -hmm. then at the end, it's just like within how long is that ending scene where the guy gives the speech? Maybe like a minute, minute yeah, and a half. That, yeah. Just, everything comes together perfectly yeah. right there. And you're like, holy shit. And it, it's yeah. mind blowing. Like <laughs> I get it now. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> and what's that? Uh, like spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, but what's the line that the lady says when she comes out of the room, uh, to the guy right before she, uh, does the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think she asks, could you imagine what there is in the afterlife? Right, right. And he says something like, well, surely not. And she's like, keep imagining. And then that's what, yeah. 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 That's when I was like, wow. okay, this movie was on a different level the whole time. And I didn't even <laughs> yeah. realize it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like when you, when she leans over and, you know, listens to what the girl tells her, mm. you assume that she's being told something magical. Yeah. You know, the secret of all. Yeah, yeah. But then it turns out, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a good listeners one. at home if you have not seen martyrs and you have the stomach for some brutal violence uh, yeah. definitely need to check even if you don't have the stomach for it grow a spine god damn it well some kitty videos afterwards you'll yeah. be fine <laughs> yeah um judith sonnet said when she writes uh particularly you know gruesome scenes in her novels that uh sometimes she'll get to the point where she has to watch the monsters Oh yeah, it's a good palate cleanser. Yeah, a good yeah. palate cleanser. Like get some of that filth off and start start anew the next day. Yeah. So, well, uh, tell me about the life of Andrew Post outside of writing. You know, I'm such a like regular dude. Like mm -hmm. my wife and I, we don't have kids. Don't plan on having any. We bought an old Same. house. <laughs> we got an 18 year old, almost 19 year old dog. She's holding in steady. Yeah, old house, which is kind of like my other job besides writing now. <laughs> it's like foundation problems, you know, having to do plaster walling. That's a delight. <laughs> I watch a lot of movies, read a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I'm sort of this simple dude. Yeah. Make art, write books, drink beer, hang out. That's it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> got all of that uh carousing out of your system in your 20s yeah yeah, yeah. you just laid back well it's been a pleasure talking to you andrew yeah it's been great so uh as we bring the show to a close is there anything you'd like to plug and let your readers know about uh just follow me on instagram at andrew post author keep an eye out for no teeth 2 and chop chop 2 both of those should be happening this year fingers crossed mm-hmm both at Christmas time or? I'm shooting for like Thanksgiving ish with okay. Chop Chop, just a little space in there. But yeah, other than that, I'm on Instagram. I'm not on any other social media. So 
check me out there mm-hmm. book updates stupid little videos and, <laughs> yeah that's it all right well all links will be in the description and uh andrew thank you again for being on the show and i look thank forward you. to all of your upcoming content thank you this has been great thanks for having me and thank you to everyone that tuned in if you liked today's episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and follow the show on Instagram and YouTube. Stay healthy, stay sane, and as always, thank you for listening. See you next time. <laughs>